Welcome to the Next Leadership Academy podcast hosted by Chad Jones and Cody Phillips. For those of you who are first-time listeners, the Next Academy was specifically designed for construction professionals and the unique challenges they face. Next is a year-long industry-focused program created for highly motivated, like-minded professionals, built to instill confidence and prepare leaders for what's happening now and what's coming next. Next is built on four foundational concentrations, enabling leadership, building vibrant organizations, innovation and disruption, and lastly, negotiating for a better future. Over 50 classes with an empirically-based curriculum leveraging modern technology to deliver the most user-friendly experience for each and every participant. The overarching goal of Next is to help, to help contractors become more sustainable and profitable long into the future. The feedback from our participants has been overwhelmingly positive, and I encourage you to consider walking alongside your peers on this leadership journey. Please visit our website at www.nextleadershipacademy.org to learn more. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Oh, have I got your attention now? Have I got your attention now? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Next Leadership Academy podcast. I'm Cody Phillips, joined as always by my co-host, Chad Jones. What's up, Mr. Jones? How we doing, Cody? I'm good, buddy. It's great to finally have some warmer temperatures and sunshine here in Pittsburgh. Um, Chad and I have been on a run with some fantastic guests, and I assure you today will be no different. Grab those notepads, a clean pencil, and get ready to take this in. As you all have grown accustomed to over the years, Chad and I will be discussing a leadership book that we feel can make a significant impact on your life on both a personal and professional level. Today, we are diving into the peer revolution, group coaching that ignites the power of people. Uh, this is an instant classic written by Christy Uffelman. Uh, in today's episode, we're afforded the incredible opportunity to have Christy join us to help weave some of these concepts into the fabric of the construction industry. Christy has facilitated peer learning and coach leaders for 20 years, helping them align talent strategy with business strategy. After a successful corporate career as head of HR in the construction industry, Christy launched Edge Leadership Solutions in the East Coast Office of Aligned Leadership simultaneously in 2013. While serving as the president of Aligned, the global company grew fivefold in seven years. Christy spun off Edge Leadership in 2020, where she still serves as CEO. She spent seven years working in the construction industry as the first female manager and the first female member of the executive staff for a regional general contractor. It was during this time that she became very focused on women's leadership and passionate in creating vehicles where women can empower one another and share best practices. Her current clients include FedEx Ground, PNC Bank, Highmark, Duquesne Light Company, DPR Construction, MSA Safety, just to name a few. I'm excited to talk to you today and share this book with our audience. First, from both Chad and I, thank you so much for being with us today. I know how incredibly busy 
you are. So thanks again for taking the time. How are you doing today? Uh, I am super good today. I am very glad to be here. And it's nice to be back in the construction industry. I have to say, uh, I miss it. There is a realness and an authenticity in this particular industry you don't find everywhere. Well, I, again, we appreciate you being on and completely agree with your uh, comments there. I'm going to start uh, 30,000 feet here. You know, broadly speaking, it's always interesting to have authors on. And I like to ask this question. So why did you decide to write this book? It's a great question, and there's a really short answer. And I wrote The Peer Revolution because the pandemic showed me, um, I think, showed us all that the world is not yet where it needs to be. And um, that's why those of us that are community builders, and when I talk about community builders, I mean the space of curating connection and belonging with others. So that could be, you know, leadership development professionals, that could be coaches, that can also be people leaders. Um, and I think that we all have a responsibility to adapt our skill sets to what is actually needed today. That's that's really cool. And Chrissy, I got to tell you, from my perspective, um, I've I've known about you for a long time. I, I I saw you when you were with the regional GC, and I've watched your career accelerate. Just never quite had the confidence to connect with you because you always you always seem super dynamic. And I'm like, well, what the heck am I going to say to her? <laughs> I'm really glad you're on. I'm really glad you're on the podcast today because I've watched you kind of come full circle. And then when you came out with the book, I had to jump into it and see what it was all about. You mentioned in the beginning. Um, that there's a realness and an authenticity um, to construction. And there is, you're, you're so right about that. There really is. And at times that can also make us complicated and complex. And <laughs> as you can imagine, um, because uh, some of that realness is a uh, thought or a real uh, belief of how we think this industry is. Yeah. And that belief and that thoughts carried over through generations, but you wake up and it's 2022 and, you know, the question is, are some of those beliefs and some of those thoughts still accurate today? And, and that's why I think that some things that uh, jumped out to me in your book speak to that. And we're going to get to some of them later. But in the, in the beginning, the first chapter, The Power of Peer Relationships, in 2013, you launched an innovative approach to group coaching called Peer Technology. Can you elaborate on this framework and how leveraging peer-centered coaching in an environment of equity and inclusion helps to light the fire of cooperative thinking. And this is a really important topic in the construction industry today. And after your answer, I might follow up a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. When you say this is an important topic in the construction industry, clarify for me. Tell me what exactly out of all sure. of that said a lot. So a hot topic in, yep. in the construction industry, as it is in a lot of industries, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yep. Um, now, this isn't a new concept in the construction industry, and I'm sure you you were aware of it in, in your time here. But the practices of simply sitting in a room and listening to a speaker talk about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and actually understanding what that means and how to apply it are two different things. And I think we've been really good in the construction industry of sitting in functions and seminars and listening to the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I don't think we've been good at applying it. And, and actually taking the practice and saying, this is great. Now, what do we do with it? What does it mean? Cody knows this. I'm always big on, it's not that I don't like school. I don't like sitting in a class and getting a lesson and then going about my life. The, the thing is, is if I'm going to get the lesson, it's got to be applied somewhere. So in the construction industry, and it's not to knock the construction industry, I think a lot of industries struggle with this, 
I just think we've been slow to apply. What does it mean and how do we execute it? Yeah. Uh, amen to every, I, I feel like if I could just underline everything Chad just said, that's what I would want to do. Like what he said, um, you know, it's interesting. The, so the, the first thing that comes up for me when you ask the question, diversity, equity, inclusion, you'll notice that in the book, I only talk about the last two. I talk about equity and inclusion. Um, and I think it's because in, um, in a lot of our industry, the construction industry, I think we focus a lot on diversity. We're looking around the room and thinking, all right, well, are there enough people that don't look like me? Or, you know, what's diversity of thought versus race and ethnicity or sexual orientation, you know, across the gender spectrum? It's not a binary. Like we're, we're thinking about diversity. And I think we've done a lot better job of that. To me, it's the equity and inclusion that matters. And quite frankly, that's why I wrote the book. Um, I think that there is an opportunity to elevate this DEI conversation and specifically focused on the how. I don't, I don't think we need to teach or talk about the why as much. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people out there that are doing a really great job in that space as to why diversity matters. Um, I think there's less voices uh, focused on the inclusion and the equity. And so for me, the book was quite frankly, a how-to book. You know, if you look at it and you go through chapter by chapter, there are, you know, reflections at the end of each chapter saying, okay, how am I going to apply this to my team? Regardless of if I'm a people manager on that team or I'm a contributor on that team, how am I going to apply this and what does this mean for me? Um, I think that's a really, really important piece that we don't always talk about. Absolutely. Oh, I think you both were spot on there. I think that we, we sit in, in conference rooms or we certainly have an understanding of what we should do, of the right thing to do. And then it's about taking the next step in executing uh, on what we know is right. Um, kind of turn it back to the book. You know, I love your thoughts on challenging the script. For many of us, at least my opinion, I feel we fall victim to the stories that we tell ourselves. And oftentimes our script is the worst case scenario. Right. I, I love this. Isn't it? Why do we do that? Cody uh, well, it, it's part of, it's part of the way we were made, you know, when, when, when we were created and we needed to be scared of, of everything that was around the corner. That's part of the way that we were intrinsically wired. But I love the quote by, Peter Crone that says what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. Now, if you fully grasp that, the burden of what we feel should have happened evaporates and forces us to live in the reality of what did happen. And I really enjoyed your thoughts on this concept of challenging the script I'm hoping that you can help listeners today through your own experiences rise up against the the negative narratives in our own heads. So just in general, what's your advice on challenging the script? Oh, I love this question so much. And this is where I'm going to say um, to everyone who is listening, remember when they said to grab your pencils? Now's the time to grab your pencil because I'm going to give you some great coaching questions where you can identify um, when you find that you're writing a story, whether personally or professionally, what to do next. All right. And I will share one of my own very real life examples as I go through. So, you know, the first step 
is, as Cody just said, we have to recognize that we're writing a story because we live it as truth. And you see this in the very first chapter of the book, right? Like I jump right into a story, um, but I don't say that it's a story until two chapters in when I reflect back on it and I'm like, oh, maybe that wasn't the truth, but it was certainly what I was living as truth. And as Cody just said, that's the crux of the challenge of story writing. So the first thing that I would say, if, if you don't have clarity of where you may be writing a story, answer this question or fill in the blanks. I am holding back from by. All right. So I am holding back, fill in the blank, by. So, you know, I am considering a promotion or interviewing for a new role, but I often distract myself from making the decision. That's an example. Um, and then the first step is to dive into emotion. So I've had the privilege to be mentored by a tremendous thought leader in my space of coaching, Dr. Brene Brown. And I learned a lot about emotions with her. If this is the first time you are hearing her name, I'm going to say Google her. Google her. her. I second that. I second that. Yeah, all the way around. Her TED Talk on vulnerability, folks, is one of the top five most watched TED Talks on earth. 55 million views. There's a reason for that. She has a Netflix special. She has an HBO Max special. She's worth checking out. Um, so the first step is emotion. And recognize that our brains are hardwired to find patterns. So the first opportunity that we have is to get curious about our feelings and how they connect with the way that we think and behave. Um, so ask yourself, what is the emotion that I'm feeling um, and why? And so the question that you would write down is, um, I feel this way because. So I'll give you an example. You know, the guys shared that I wrote this book. This is my first book. I will tell you, leaning into vulnerability right now with you, the week before the book launched, I must have cried three times. <laughs> uh, my husband's name is Kevin. And he was like, WTF, Christy, like, I don't understand what's going on with you. You've put a year of your life into this. You knew it was coming. And I had this moment leading up to the launch, which was at the end of March, um, that there's no turning back now. Mm -hmm. You know, that once it was out there in the world that, um, I don't know what I thought, but I knew I was scared. And so yeah. I share that with you because the first step is naming the emotion. And for me, it was absolutely fear. And so the second step then is impact. Right? And the question that you would write down is, how does this impact me? So I was feeling fear. How does that impact me? Um, well, it was certainly making me feel small. And I was noticing that I wasn't so quick to accept offers when leaders like you came in and said, hey, we have a podcast and we'd love to showcase you on it. Like I was letting those stay in my inbox for a couple of days. I wasn't jumping on those opportunities to share the story. Um, another great example of how it was impacting me and this actually started a couple months before that. My publisher was asking me to ask for endorsements. So endorsements are the, you know, the part of the book that says what people are saying. You're supposed to reach out to all these thought leaders and ask them to read the book and share their thoughts on the book. And you guys, I drug my feet on that like nobody's business. <laughs> and so the emotion again was fear. 
And I was afraid to ask these people that I perceived to be so much better than me for a favor. Like right. the, the language in my head was, who do you think you are, Christy Effelman, reaching out to so-and-so and asking them, by the way, to read a 300-page book and then write something that, you know, you can put out there in the world. Um, so step one, emotion. Step two, identifying what the impact is of that emotion. And then it's about redefining the story. So... Um, when we redefine the story, that the first is truth, the second is self-protection, and the third is possibility. And possibility, by the way, is where the construction industry lives. It's all about innovation. So we do this really well, right? So start with truth. What is the truth? Unapologetically, the truth. So the truth is, in my story, the truth is, is that I'm published. I was publishing a book. Like that was it. It was coming out. That is truth. The truth is also. I'm really good at what I do. That is truth. And so for you, start to enumerate. That's the word I was looking for. Enumerate what actually is truth that other people could see as much as you could see, that there is uh, proof behind it. Second spot is self-protection, right? If I delay the launch, maybe I'd save myself from embarrassment. If I didn't publish the book, right, I would protect myself from failure, Mm-hmm. So it's about getting curious about why, how this story is protecting me in some way. And then the final space is the space of possibilities. And this is where I could shift my mindset a la Simon Sinek from nervous to excited because we know that what's happening in our body is exactly the same thing, yep. right? I could recognize that no one expects that my very first book coming out is going to be a bestseller. You know, like there are lots of possibilities, uh, I mean, we sold a thousand books in the first week. We became an Amazon bestseller. I never in my wildest dreams did I think that that was going to happen. But if I had in the midst of being held hostage by my story, even recognized that that was a possibility, I could have let go of some fear. Sure. Awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. So on the topic of self-protection, Especially since I have you on the podcast, I got to take advantage of this opportunity. This isn't <laughs> this isn't a scripted question, so I got to take advantage of this opportunity. So we're going to, or are we going into a therapy session right now? No, no, no. no this is coaching isn't therapy, but I'm happy to explain the difference. <laughs> I know we have listen. I know we have listeners that ask this question in private circles, and they try to figure it out. So we're going to move on to vulnerability. I'm going to be vulnerable and stay on the topic of self protection. And obviously, Code and I work in the construction industry, and we work for a trade association, National Electrical Contractor Association, and we we created this leadership academy called the Next Leadership Academy for Construction Professionals. We often have been asked by different folks, women in business, about a separate group, um, women in construction, women in business, these separate groups. We have always, and I have always, this is me being vulnerable, I've always paused and and haven't gone fully invested in that for fear that I was insulting somebody by doing that, by saying, you're not a construction professional like me, so I'm going to create a side group like you. And so I've always struggled with this, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? And I asked one of our female contractors this exact question. It was really cool because she appreciated it. She said, I would really appreciate a forum like that 
to be able to share ideas and communicate with other women in construction, which helped me a lot. And the one thing that I started to realize was, hey, that's pretty simple to do. Why don't we work on creating a forum like that? We'll just stay out of the way of the agenda. I think sometimes people make a mistake by trying to create the forum and then give them the agenda. Here's what we're going to have you guys talk about, right? (laughs) (laughs) So on the self-protection side, it's been really about the first thought, unfortunately, is, oh, man, how's this impact me? Of course. Because you come in, by the way, my friend. Right, right, right. Just natural thought. The second thought is, I think there's other people like me in companies and running associations that are struggling with this. And it's not a lack of desire or a fear of, of creating a forum for women. It's a, it's a fear of, am I insulting anybody by separating you from the global group? So if well, you could just speak to that. Very, very quickly too. We have heard the opposite of that as well, though. I mean, we have, we have specifically asked people that said, absolutely not. We've worked our whole career to feel like everyone else, and now you're separating us again. So there is two sides of that coin, and I think you are a great person to help us navigate that. Right. Uh, love the questions. Um, and I really want to acknowledge and appreciate both the vulnerability and the curiosity. Because to the folks that are listening out there, to me, that's the space of equity and inclusion, right? It's recognizing, all right, your lived experience is different than mine. I don't understand it. And I want to get curious about it. Um, and I want to ask questions. And I want to be a good ally and advocate, recognizing that you are a part of a minority group. So a couple things come up for me that I will share with you from my experience. Um, you know, when I first created this model, I created this model um, not because I thought someday I was going to start a company, not because I thought I was going to trademark it and write a book. I created a peer learning a cohort based model because I felt alone. I was a single mom at the time. You know, as you said earlier, I was the only woman in leadership. And I recognized that I had a different road to hoe than my peers did, right? The other senior project managers, the other VPs, it was just a different lived experience. Um, You know, they had stay-at-home wives running their households when we would go away for a leadership retreat. And I had to figure out who was going to take care of my son and make it there. Um, And I didn't golf. Right. So think about all of those, you know, differences that happen in something that happens on an annual basis when we bring someone who has a different lived experience. Mm -hmm. So what I will share with you is that I think um, a path that I would recommend to you would be both and not either or. So what I'm hearing you talk about is, all right, you know, do we do this and do we separate out and create a women's forum? Or perhaps it's around race and ethnicity and you want to do something for leaders of African ancestry, for example, or LGBTQ, whatever that pick, pick a minority group, any minority group, there's a lot in construction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So you really have your choice. Now, what's been my experience with my clients and our clients are Fortune 500 companies, the entry point for most organizations is around the women's leadership space, uh, mostly because it's the space that the majority feels the most comfortable with. Being super (laughs) transparent with you um, on that. And so what I will say is the good thing about that is that there is a clear best practice that you could follow. 
by focusing around gender. The first recommendation that I would have to you is to um, be careful about language. One of the things that I learned, so I have a transgender son, one of the things that I learned is that um, rather than saying women and men, because it is not a binary, it's women and those identifying with femininity. Can you see the difference um, around inclusion on that? Um, you know, so you create this space, you, which you probably already have a co-ed space where people are together. So you already have the both and it's just about creating the other one so that folks have options. And what I will say, the story that I will share with you is of the very first contract that we landed in 2013 was FedEx Ground. They've been a wonderful partner with us. You know, they had done a lot of work with their women's EBRG, but it was the space like most folks in most industries where we have a BERG or, you know, employee business resource group, whatever your company calls it. And the women get together and you, you know, has a modest budget and you bring in speakers and motivate them. And then everything goes back to business as usual. That's what we were talking about earlier. That's that diversity piece of presentations. And we're going to talk about the why and the what, but it doesn't focus on the how. So we came in and had the opportunity to partner from the ground up to figure out how do we actually shift behaviors um, and how do we increase mobility? So that's the promotability inside an organization and engagement between the women in the company, recognizing that these women are in stations across North America and for, what was it, four years, we focused just on the women and those identifying with femininity, right? So getting together on a monthly basis, sharing best practices, the practice arena, vertical knowledge transfer, guest mentors, all the good things that I talk about in the book. Um, and then the women started saying, um, we're loving this. Um, this is really powerful. And the men are starting to see the women get promoted and the men at FedEx start asking the questions, um, <laughs> when do we get our edge? What does our program look like? And so, um, you know, their DE&I and HR group came to us and said, well, have you ever done an all-male cohort? And I said, nope, but I am willing to get curious and I am willing to innovate with you. Let's see what this looks like. And we created the first all-male and those identifying with masculinity cohort focused on being advocates and allies. That was 2017, a year before the Me Too movement, when all of a sudden everybody started talking about men as advocates and allies and what does this look like for men? And I share that with you as a foundation for what I'm about to say. And this is my lived experience. So I'm sharing it from my experience because that's specifically what you asked me about. Sure. What I have seen is that when folks are within a peer group, they feel comfortable to lean more into vulnerability than not. And so for women, that's around voice. For men, it's just around vulnerability. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I have had co-ed cohorts. And, you know, you mentioned DPR construction as a client of mine. We've done co-ed cohorts of high potential leaders with them. We've done all female cohorts and we've done all male cohorts. And here's what I can tell you. Nine times out of 10 in a co-ed cohort, the women are going to censor themselves. They're going to censor their voice. The men are going to talk over them. We can argue till the cows come home. Do the women pull back? Do the men talk over? It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that it happens. 
And so in an all women setting, the women, first of all, realize that they're not alone because as the minority, we often feel like we're the only one. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that I'm not the only one is huge. And only then, when we feel connected, can we start using our voice, both at work and at home, by the way. Now, in the all-male cohorts, it's not about men finding voice, not in North America anyway. Right. Um, right? <laughs> but it is the challenge that I see with men is leaning into vulnerability. And I have been told by, gosh, hundreds of men at this point, that they censor themselves. And you guys can, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because I'd love to hear your perspective, that the men that I have worked with say, it's not safe to be vulnerable with women all the time. And we are way more comfortable talking about our vulnerabilities in a group of our peers and men. I, I Well, I mean, I think you're 100% accurate. Um <laughs> I like to think that I'm somebody that is willing to show that vulnerability. However, there's probably some boundaries there that maybe are not existent when you're with a bunch of guys. And I would say that I would be willing to share a lot more than most. So when you think of it that way and you realize how much is really being squashed and the dialogue is not going places that it could, which means then the learning and impact is not going where it could. I think you're spot on. What do you think, Chad? Yeah. I mean, I would be really curious to hear what, uh, so Joel Salerno is another assistant director we have here on staff. Uh, I would be really curious to hear her answer to this uh, because I, like you, think that I'm a very vulnerable person. I think that way for a number of reasons. If you looked at my staff and the makeup of my staff, Christy, we're fortunate because I have a lot of really talented people. A lot of that comes from my vulnerability of saying, I can't do that. And I can't, I can't do what Joel does. I can't do what Cody does. I can't do what Chris or Bob do. And I can't do what Dancy does. Sometimes I sit there and go, what exactly can you do? <laughs> but, <laughs> you built the team, obviously. You built the team. That's it. But that's the truth. So I'm vulnerable in that way. But to your point, I'd be really curious to hear what Joelle thinks. I think that I'm vulnerable. I think that I share my concerns with her that are the same concerns I would share with Cody or a male board member. But from her perception, the question is, is that the case? Am I? I don't know. I think we all think a lot of ourselves in certain areas. That's right. Um, but I think vulnerability may be a strong suit for me. Cody would probably agree that vulnerability is a strong point. I mean, maybe even to the point where I admit too much what I'm thinking perhaps at times. But one thing you'll find with Cody and I, from a construction standpoint and a trade association point, the fact that you're on a podcast having these conversations with us kind of shows that there is significant vulnerability, right? A lot of our peers would be scared to death. We'd never have asked that question. <laughs> We'd never ask that question. They'd be scared to death to have that type of a conversation. And But it's an important conversation, and we've always prided this podcast on there's no point in having a podcast if you're not going to really talk real. I mean, it just becomes boring, right? So that's the reason why I asked you a real question because I know, I know there's peers of mine, and look, I fully being vulnerable, I started this way. When there is someone else different in the room, you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. Or you may say something stupid, or you may say something offensive. Even if you don't mean it, 
you're on guard versus I'm not on that same guard around Cody. I mean, it's just a reality. I'm not on that same guard. You know, I had a conversation with another female colleague that's in our industry and we were having this exact conversation and she pointed out something I never really thought about. I'm like, man, that, that would be interesting. This, this person walked into a negotiation and the business manager on the other side was really trying to be helpful to her. I mean, he was really trying to be thoughtful mm-hmm. and he stood up and he said, I'm going to use a fake name for these purposes. Um, he stood up and he said, okay, everybody, Christy's here today, so we can't talk the way we normally do. I have been in meetings where folks have said that. Well, it really, it really threw her off because right off the bat, she, he was saying, we're not going to be ourselves today. Yep. Let's start the meeting. <laughs> I mean, but I've never thought about it from her perspective. And I'm like, holy cow, yeah, that would be different and a hard way to start a negotiation. <laughs> Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, I think there is so two, two thoughts come up for me as you say that. The first is intent versus impact. And the second is it circles back around to a peer group because with me, it always circles back around to a peer group. So intent versus impact, right? His intent, as you said that, was to be inclusive, was to make sure in his mind that the environment was safe for her. Um, and the impact was that he was exclusionary right off the bat and reminded her of her difference and reminded everybody of, of her difference right off the bat. Um, and so as leaders, it's really important for us to recognize that it doesn't matter how good my intent is, what matters is my impact. And the only way to recover from that is to apologize. I want to go back to an all-male cohort. Mm-hmm. Because when it's all guys together, you can have those conversations. I'm in a situation and I said this and now I don't know how to backpedal from it. Or I was in a meeting and somebody said that. How could I have handled it in a way in the moment that would have made the situation better for the person that had been called out? Right. So it's about recognizing our role that we can play and having a safe space, psychologically speaking, to be able to be vulnerable. So, you know, you asked about the women's leadership space and the numbers that I have are pre-pandemic. So let's just go back to 2020 before everything happened. Um, The women's leadership development space was an $18 billion global market. That's $18 billion that companies were spending to quote unquote, fix their women (laughs) to fit into male dominated industries and women in male dominated industries at best are what? 8%, 12% of any given company. You know, my thought process around creating a space for men to have these conversations, to practice vulnerability with one another in a safe space Gosh, if you can even take 1% of that $18 billion and pipeline it to the 85% that is making up a culture, then we're going to have real change. Right. Well, this sets me up perfect for my next question on self-awareness. At the next Academy, we talk about Daniel Goleman's emotional intelligence competencies, one of those being self-awareness. These topics have gotten much more common in today's business culture. You dedicate an entire chapter to self-awareness in the book. Can you discuss the real strategy and the four steps you use in your coaching process to build upon key importance of self, self-awareness? Uh, absolutely. What I will say, since we're in the vulnerable space right now, I almost didn't include this chapter. Um, And I almost didn't include this chapter, not because it wasn't important, but because I was really challenging myself of what could I possibly have to say about self-awareness that hasn't already been said. Truly, like what unique 
offering do I have? And I spent a lot of time thinking about this as I was writing the book. And, you know, you mentioned the real strategy, R-E-A-L. Uh, I learned all about acronyms in the construction industry. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a million. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so it shows up a lot. You, I could leave the industry, but you can't take the construction out of the girl. Um, so four steps, how I look at self-awareness. And in the book, you'll see that they are a circle. Because as you finish the fourth step, you automatically can't help yourself but to go back into number one. So it starts with R, reflect. And... Um, I'm going to invite all the listeners right now to um, reflect on where you are personally and professionally. Because I want to leverage an actual example as I explain what I mean in the book. So reflect is simply about getting curious. You know, it's asking yourself, what do I do now? Like, let's just say, so we'll use me as an example. So I mentioned earlier, I'm a brand new empty nester. My son graduated high school early. He's in his first semester in Florence, Italy, and he actually gets home tomorrow, which I'm so excited. But um, I say to my friends that I feel like my kid moved the finish line on me. Right. Like, you know, I only have one. He was scheduled to graduate this June, head to college in August. And all of a sudden in October, we knew he was graduating early, but he came to us with this opportunity. I want to go to Florence. Here's why I think it's good for me. And I was sad. Um, and I was scared. You know, what does this mean in my marriage? Uh, you know, all of a sudden, it's now going to be the two of us. And for all of these years, I have really defined myself um, as a mom. What does sure. this mean to have an adult child versus a child that I am caring for in, day in and day out? And so step one is reflect. It's to get curious. What do I do? How do I do it? What's working? What isn't? So vulnerability is the foundation of curiosity. I have to, as you said earlier, I have to reflect on what's working well. And curiosity is the vehicle for innovation, which is the work that we do in construction all the time. So that's step one is reflect. Once I have reflected, what do I do? How do I do it? What's working in my life? What's not working so well? Um, the next step is E, engage. So engage has two parts, challenge and commitment. Challenges. All right, this is how I've been showing up in my marriage to Kevin. I've really been putting Eli before Kevin. I've been focused on, you know, Eli's journey, and my marriage has taken a little bit of a backseat. I've been growing the company, and I don't like it. How do I want to change? That's challenge. Commitment. Well, commitment is readiness to be coached. And to be coached, we have to identify what are our outcomes? How do I want my life to be different? How do I want my marriage to be different? That's engage. And then we have A, apply. So based on this foundation of curiosity, we identify it. That's the getting curious and reflect. We challenge it. We commit to changing something. Now we have the application of new, new knowledge. The image that I have in my mind here is, you know, um, I saw this great meme on social media and it was all of these dots and all these dots were different colors and they were all over the place. And the caption underneath it said information. And then the next slide was all of those same dots, all connected with lines. And that said knowledge. That's what I mean when I'm talking about apply. 
It's the application of knowledge. It's having, as I talk about in the book, accountability partners, peer coaches. You don't have to hire a coach like me to come and coach you. You can, your best coaches are your peers. You know, people who hold you accountable, who challenge you to follow the self-awareness, R-E-A-L. And the last is L, learn. All right, here's what I want to try. It's just Kevin and I. We have opportunities now for new ways of doing dinner. You know, now that there's not three of us. And um, so we got, I got HelloFresh and now I'm, I'm cooking more than I used to. And we go out to dinner. We were always going out to dinner, but now it's just the two of us. So when we learn through the application of new things, then it's about reflecting on the learning. What did I do? How did I do it? What's working? What isn't? And then you start over again. I love the circular approach of the illustration as well, because you're right. They all do feed into each other and then back. It's a very simple illustration to understand. And anytime you you have something complex that you can make simple, the hope is that it's very easy to follow. And I think if you get this book, this is a huge opportunity for you to really become self-aware. You know, Chad and I were both former college athletes. And in the book, you talk about the concept of a practice arena. And the quote that begins this chapter is from Dr. Brene Brown, who you mentioned earlier, and says, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And I looked at this practice arena concept, you know, similar to Dr. Amy Edmondson's psychological safety, which she defines as a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. And we cover this important topic in the next Academy as well. And from your perspective and experiences, I'm hoping you can elaborate on your belief and the importance of having an intentional developmental space to apply new skills and tools like you feature in this book. Yeah, absolutely. I want to start by going back to what we were talking about before and share a story from an all-male cohort that I had the privilege of facilitating. And we were talking about vulnerability. And um, I espouse to, um, I focus on Kevin Cashman's work, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. And concept yep. of, you know, it's time to turn leadership development inside out. The internal space from where the external behaviors are born. So all conversations, all leadership skills that I focus on, focus on applying it both at work and at home. Which, by the way, mid end, where are we, pandemic, um, has never been more relevant when everything's right. in the same darn room, That's right? right? Probably the best feedback that I have ever gotten from men that have gone through our programming was that at the end of it, so it's typically leadership development, high potential programs, right? But the feedback at the end is, Christy, I'm a better father and husband after this experience. No doubt. Yeah. And that is because of the space to be vulnerable, right? When one guy is sharing his challenge that month and in the practice arena and saying, all right, here's what's keeping me up at night, fellas. And the other guys are depending on what place of the practice, what area of the practice arena you're in, right? There's a coaching space of, all right, tell me more. And, you know, understanding and asking questions and helping him generate his own possibilities. But there's also a space in the practice arena for best practice sharing. 
you know, well, here's what I have done. Here's what worked for me. Here's my successes. Here's my lessons learned. Um, and there's space for him to ask for help. Right. Super important in there that takes place in that practice arena. It's not just about learning from each other's successes. It's not just about sharing challenges. There is this space of allowing myself to receive, to not always be the giver, to not always be the contributor, but to receive. And so there was one gentleman who really leaned into vulnerability and his challenge that month that he shared was that um, he and his wife had grown apart and his language, not mine, was she threw out, we need therapy. And I have no idea how to handle this. And when the other peers in the room leaned back in, met him, lean for lean around vulnerability, and one guy said, I'm in couples therapy and it's working really well. I would recommend it. One other guy, right? Like they, yeah. they meet him where he is and all of a sudden he doesn't feel so alone. Like that to me is the power of a practice arena. And I think the big learning that I had, because I could talk about this all day, but the big learning that I would have if you are curating a practice arena, whatever that may look like on your team, in your company, with a Berg, um, you know, with a high potential program, whatever that looks like, is integrating both horizontal and vertical knowledge transfer. So let me explain what I mean by that. A peer group, think about, think about our path. Um, and actually, let's go back to women because we were talking about that earlier. You know, the research all shows that a woman's career path in a male-dominated industry is not unlike a labyrinth. There are certain barriers and obstacles that women must overcome that men simply don't face. Think about me going to the leadership meeting and everybody played golf except for me. Right. right. That's a barrier right. mm -hmm. for a barrier example. So there are certain barriers and obstacles we need to overcome that men don't face. There are additional barriers and obstacles that women of color face that I as a white woman don't face, that black women face more so than white women in this in this world right now, especially in the U.S., the Asian American women, right? Additional barriers and obstacles and microaggressions and systemic racism. And here's the thing that we know about a labyrinth. No one successfully navigates it alone. So let's say you've got your peer group, right? You've got your safe space where you can, your practice arena that you can lean in and coach and be coached and get best practices. And we're all linked arms and we're going through this labyrinth. And we look down here and we see a dead end. So we keep walking as peers, we have an inherent limitation. We don't know what we don't know. Vertical knowledge transfer is when the been there, done that folks who are a little bit farther along, when we're peering down that column and you know that, and we see a dead end, somebody peeks their head around and says, yo, this is a corner this way. Yeah. That's what I mean by vertical knowledge transfer. So you can either integrate that into a group with through diversity. So, you know, my ve the very first group that I started, I said earlier, I started it purely selfishly because I was feeling alone as an ambitious working mother was a working mother's group. And so we had women, my son was about five years old at the time. He was just starting kindergarten. We had women who had kids and, um, high school, elementary school, college, there was huge richness of diversity of experience. And that was really powerful in a lot of ways, because, you know, maybe the challenge I was sharing in the practice arena 
was one thing and I was lamenting over how hard this was, another parent, another mom could say to me, all right, so, you know, I don't think that that's as big of a deal as you think it is. Let me explain why. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier about what happened on the playground, because I think that's a bigger deal. And let me tell you why, right? That's what I mean by vertical knowledge transfer. Um, So that was my first group. We had it in there because the women all had different lived experiences. My second group, I only learned about vertical knowledge transfer in the absence of it. So the second group was a high potential group of female leaders across the Pittsburgh region, across companies and industries. And we were all a peer group. We were all, I don't know what I was, 29 at the time. We were all, and I was the oldest, right? We were all in our twenties, super ambitious young women. And um, we stagnated because we didn't have that infusion of vertical knowledge transfer. And so a mentor of mine, Aradna Danda Oliphant, who leads Leadership Pittsburgh, I had gone through Leadership Pittsburgh, and she introduced me to a concept called guest mentors. So if you think about a traditional mentoring program, which personally I've never been a big fan of, it's kind of like my parents assigning me a partner. (laughs) Uh, You know, like sometimes it works, most of the time it really doesn't. Uh, you know, and for a whole host of reasons. But this idea of guest mentors where the cohort could identify the topics that they felt that they had gaps in, they could self-identify. And then we could bring in those been there, done that leaders who are passionate about those topics, engage in a 90 minute dialogue where they share their successes, their lessons learned. Well, now you're cooking with oil, right? Now you've got that vertical, hey, this is not a dead end. It's a corner, folks. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to help others get through the barriers together. You yeah. know, you're, you're you bringing a time commitment, right? You know, yeah. you're not mentoring me for the next two years. It's 90 minutes, 20, 30 people, 70 people. I'm getting to impact a lot of people with a minimal time commitment in an area that's meaningful because I'm passionate about it. Love that. Well, Christy, th- this has been awesome. So there's so much valuable information in this book. Honestly, it's, in- it's incredible how much detail you've put into it. Is there, you, is there any tool or resource or tactic that we haven't discussed today that you feel could be helpful specifically pertaining to the construction professionals that listen to this podcast and are part of the Next Academy? I know we covered a lot of ground. But is there anything else that you would that pass we missed? Along? I mean, I know there's a lot we missed, but is there any like yeah. bang that we we got to know and we can we can give to the listeners right now? Two things come to mind. I'm trying to decide which one I want to tell you about. You can go both. All right, I'll go both. You can edit it out. How about that? If you don't want to go The first is around, and I talk about it in the book, um, the distinctions between a mentor, an advocate, and a coach. Okay. You know, we, I, we hear a lot in construction, um, you know, let's say you're out on a job site and, you know, you know, the VP comes in or, you know, someone from outside, you're the project manager, you know, someone comes in and they see something, they're like, you know what, you need to coach John up on this, Christy, because he's not showing up the way that he needs to. That, my friends, is not coaching. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, it's not. It's feedback. Right. You, you got to give John feedback if he's not showing up 
in a way that is impacting the project or the team or the client in a positive way. Once you give him that feedback, then you can coach him as to how he could show up differently. So let me make that distinction. Let's start with mentoring because I feel like this is one that we do really well um, as an industry. You think apprenticeship, I mean, for hundreds of years, I think um, the, the construction industry does mentorship really well. So mentoring is by definition an unequal power relationship right? The mentor um, has some kind of domain experience that the mentee doesn't have, and they share knowledge down. That's what mentoring is. Now, it is a misnomer that um, my mentor needs to be older than me. I'm being mentored by um, a 23-year-old on TikTok. More domain experience. Smart, That's yeah. all mentorship is. Right? And mentorship, um, while it is good to give back to your mentor in ways, there really isn't an expected quid pro quo on that. You know, uh, when I think about the people that I am mentoring right now, I mentor because it feels good to give back. I mentor because people have mentored me. Um, if I'm going to be super vulnerable with you right now, why the heck not? I mentor because it makes me feel competent. Mm -hmm. It reminds me how good I am at things. So that's mentorship. And we all need mentors in our life personally and professionally, by the way, which I think we often forget about. I'm being mentored right now by moms and dads who are empty nesters as to how I can move through this transition in my life. So mentorship is the first. Then I want to talk about coaches. And I feel like in the construction industry, when we talk about coaches, it goes one of two ways. It's either an athletic coach, right, which is, you know, different. <laughs> or we need to hire some fancy coach from FMI who's going to come in and cost an arm and a leg. And I want to, um, I want to shift the thinking around that to appear. Your best coach, you don't need to pay someone to be a coach. Your best coach is someone who's going to do two things, ask thoughtful questions and hold you accountable for your results and the change that you want to make in your life. Um, so a coach unlike a mentor, is an equal power relationship. Coaches don't tell you what to do. They ask questions whereby you generate your own possibilities of action. And then they follow up with you, ask how it went um, and what you want to do differently next time. That third role that I think we all need to have in our careers and in our lives is an advocate. Sometimes also referred to as a sponsor. I use those two words interchangeably. And an advocate has a lot, um, can often get confused with a mentor because it is another uneven power relationship. But where a mentor shares knowledge down to the mentee, an advocate shares opportunity. This is the person who speaks your name in rooms that you are not. This, to me, is an amazing call to action for, um, you know, those that are in the majority in the construction industry to be advocates for people who do not look like you, mm -hmm. right? For people who do not have the same experience as you. That's when we talk about allyship. That's an opportunity. If right now all the people you are advocating for in your organization are guys that look exactly like you, there's an opportunity, that you could truly make the difference in your organization around equity and inclusion. One quick thing around advocates, 
unlike mentors, there is a real quid pro quo with advocates that we don't talk about and that I wished someone would have told me when I was early in my career. And that is that advocates are looking for you to do two things. And if you do not do these two things, they will not be your advocate for very long. (laughs) The first is that they're expecting you to kick butt Right. If I am advocating for Cody and in a situation, then I am lending my credibility to him. And so if he walks in there and he doesn't kick butt, you think I'm going to do it again? Right. And then the other piece is that they are looking for feedback and perspective that they themselves cannot have. And that ties to this concept of a growth mountain, which I will say in all of the readings and the podcasts that I have done so far, and it's, you know, it's only been three weeks since I launched the book. um, This comes up a lot, which is why I wanted to make sure that I shared it before um, we closed out today, this concept of the growth mountain. Again, if you go back to um, peer groups, Our peer group is wherever we find ourselves on this mountain. So this is a beautiful analogy of the construction industry, because when we start out in our careers, more often than not, we start out in the field. And so at the base of every mountain, there's a field. And I call that the early career field. And in the early career field, there are um, cute little bunnies and gorgeous wildflowers and lots of curiosities to explore. And there are dangers. Right? There's not a lot of places to hide. You're very exposed down in the field for any wandering coyote. And there could be a sinkhole that I don't even know is there until I fall right into it. You remember this from your early career? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and at some point we decide we're at the base of the mountain and we're like, you know what? I want more. I want more growth. I want more opportunity. I want more impact. So you start climbing. And you climb into the base of the mountain that is heavily forested. And that's what I call the mid-career woods. And the mid-career woods, gosh, you know, some people stay there for a couple of years and then they want to, you know, head up to the top of the mountain and, you know, be a managing director or a VP and keep climbing. Other people make their entire career in the woods, right? They, you know, become a subject matter expert in estimating and they stay on the south side of the mountain. Um, Or they, you know, find that they love business development or they want to be a people manager and they want to train newcomers to the woods on here's how things get done and here's how you forage for food. Um, Because there are new dangers in the woods that don't exist in the mid-career fields, right? There's a bear cave over by the waterfall that you better be careful around. Those berries that look tempting are actually poisonous. And you can be in the mid-career woods together, but depending on where you are in the mountain, it's a different experience, right? Maybe the east side of the mountain had a fire a few years ago. Um, You know, there's way more sun that, you know, happens on the south facing. So different vegetation grows. And then above the woods is what I call the rocky craggy area. And that's where our managing directors, our VPs, our officers live. And once you get above the treetops, heck, you're a lot more exposed. The vegetation is scarce. It's actually a lot lonelier. And there are new dangers to face, like a hungry mountain lion. But boy, the views are unparalleled. Now you can see out over the fields. 
And while you can see smoke in the distance, you have no idea, is that a danger or are people celebrating a win we just had? (laughs) And you can no longer see what's happening in the woods because the vegetation and the treetops are too dense. So going back to this concept of advocates, your very best advocate in your organization and industry is going to be two levels above you. That's what the research tells you. So in the analogy of the mountain, if you're in the mid-career woods right now, your best advocates are going to be in that rocky, craggy area. If you're in the field, your best advocates are going to be in the forest. Going back to quid pro quo, feedback and perspective. If I'm in the rocky, craggy area, And you know what's important to me as your sponsor, what my strategic direction is, what the goals are that my boss is being is holding me accountable to. You can keep me abreast uh, and give me perspective of what's happening in the fields. Maybe that bear cave that was there that was super dangerous when I was in the woods is now a mighty good place to weather a storm. But I don't know that unless you share it. Dude. Let's go. I love that. Describe my golf game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, so we have a career mountain, but we also have a personal life mountain, right? We also have a community mountain because mountains are like people. They exist in a range, you know? So if you want to get on a not-for-profit board, you're going to leverage your network on that mountain. Right. You know, you want to start and reinvent yourself and do your 2.0 and you're going to move from being a VP um, of your mountain to now being a consultant and now service your old former employer as a client. Now you're in the early career fields of being a consultant. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Dude, that was awesome. Very good. Yeah, that was awesome. And it's it's also an interesting way when, when you're self-aware enough to recognize where you are on the mountain, because that can be tricky too. If you recognize yourself above the woods, understand that it's time to start being an advocate. Yes, sir. I think it's really important to realize where you are on that mountain and then where you want to go, obviously, and, and how you can bring others along. So <clears throat> I want to make sure... Revolution, everyone get it. I'll make sure that I um, link it in the show notes. Where should everybody go to find you and your work? Um, so you can find out more information at thepeerrevolution.com. Um, and if you just type in my name uh, in Amazon, the book will come up nice and easy. We were just elevated to prime status. So super pumped Love about it. that. And um, you can find me. We'll make sure we get you our links that you can put in there. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn just search my name, Instagram. It's Christy at Edge Leadership. Okay, got it. Get a highlighter, folks. Get a highlighter and get the book. That's right. Absolutely. Let me end with this. As John Serma, retired chairman and CEO of U.S. Steel concludes, after 45 years in business, I thought I had seen most of what works in management and leadership. But in her wonderful new book, The Peer Revolution, Christy Uffelman presents many new ideas for leaders at all levels to put to immediate practical use in today's organizations. I hope after today's episode, all of you listening are one step closer to being the leader that you desire. Go get this book. Thank you again, Um, Christy. I hope that you're proud of your contributions. Thank you for the personal impact that you've had on Chad and I through this book. Thank you for the insightful conversation here today, for coming on our podcast. If we can ever help you, please never hesitate to reach out. Thanks again. And Here's to Pittsburgh pride. (laughs) Here's to Pittsburgh. Indeed. So long, everyone. All right. Until next time. 
thank you for listening to the Next Academy podcast, where we focus on construction leadership, brand growth, and staying on offense. As always, we hope you found great value in today's episode. Don't be defined by yesterday. Be the best version of you today. Every day is another opportunity to learn and grow. If you're in the construction industry or you know of someone who is, please visit our website at nextleadershipacademy.org to learn more about the Next Academy. Our registration is closed for the current year, but we'd love for you to hop on our waiting list that will allow you to be notified first when registration opens. Next is a unique 12-month training ground that is committed to helping participants become more prepared, dynamic leaders who can drive their company's sustainability and profitability into the future. If you're in search of personal and professional growth and ready to challenge yourself, you should consider Next in the future. Thank you so much for your support of these episodes, your support of what we are building at the Next Academy, and your willingness to hit that share button, that like button, and pass along this content to coworkers, friends, and family across all of the social media landscape. If we can ever help you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out. We're always here to help, or more importantly, find you the necessary resources that can help you on your leadership journey. Please be safe and smart out there. We look forward to catching up again soon. Until then, attack the week ahead, own your life, and be next. Thank you.